2. Hear God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us understanding. And in these simple words of introduction, would you drive them deep into our hearts that we would know all of your great purposes for us as your saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. In Acts 16, we read of the gospel arriving in Philippi. Paul and His compatriots arrive and begin preaching, and new creation begins to break out around them in every way. First, a wealthy merchant woman named Lydia is drawn to Christ. She attends a prayer service by the river. She was a God-fearer, and then she comes to believe in Jesus. And then there's a slave girl who is under some kind of spiritual oppression, and she's freed, and she joins this company. And then Paul is imprisoned, and he is freed from prison, and an ex-Roman soldier was going to commit suicide because he had lost the prisoners, and he converts. And so we have a wealthy merchant woman, a slave girl, and a suicidal Roman guard. And the gospel creates a church out of that. Several years later, we have Paul writing a letter to that church that started off with a wealthy merchant woman, a servant slave girl, and a suicidal Roman soldier. That's what a church is. An unruly band of people who otherwise would not belong together, and God creating a family out of them around a common confession of faith. And that common confession of faith is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the world. The world belongs to Jesus. And despite its good start, though, where you have all these powers of new creation coming in and intersecting people's lives and changing them, things at Philippi went in a certain course. What we discover in this letter, if you continue to reading through the verses and chapters, is that there were problems. There were arguments and tensions. There there was division. And so when Paul says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, he uses this word all continually throughout the letter because he has to stress the unity that he wants to see in this body of believers. He's going to talk about unity at the end of chapter 1. He's going to speak about their divisions. And then in chapter 4, he gets very specific. In verses 2 and 3, he addresses two women who particularly were squabbling. Okay, so what we find is that this church, despite its good start, had lost its purpose. It somewhat was losing its way and was becoming focused upon things that it wasn't to be focused on. And this is a relevant word for us in our own present stage of life at Christ Church. Perhaps no more important letter for us to be reading right now to ask this question, what is God's purpose for the church? What does He want us to be? 
Now, on September 8th in 1565, the captain's name was Pedro Mendez de Aviles. He was a Spanish captain, and he arrived in what we modernly known as St. Augustine. He sighted shore, and it was the feast of St. Augustine in the Catholic Church, and so he named the small fort that he established there St. Augustine. Now, Spain had had many holdings in the New World, but they had yet to set up a colony on the mainland of North America. But on September 8, 1565, that changed. They set up a colony. And the purpose of the colony was that they would turn North America into Spain. That was the goal of colonization. That they were sending a group, a company of roughly 100 or 200 people into North America that would become the launching point for all of their North America holdings. That was how colonization worked. And so they would fortify this colony. They would send resources from the motherland to it. And these Spaniards were representing the values and the beliefs and the systems of government of Spain. That's what a colony does. Now, it's important for us to recognize that Philippi was a similar situation. Philippi was also a colony. It was a colony of Rome. There were two big battles that Augustus won, the Battle of Philippi and the Battle of Actium. And after that, he took the ex-soldiers who had won those great battles, he gave them Roman citizenship, which was a prized possession in this world, and he set them up as colonists in Philippi. Okay? Now, he gave them Roman citizenship, not so that one day they would return to the city of Rome. What did Augustus want these ex-Roman soldiers to do when they went to Philippi? He wanted them to make Philippi like Rome. That's what colonies are all about. They are about spreading the beliefs and the values and the way of life of the homeland around the world. Now what's interesting, when Paul uses this phrase, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, what we see is that he speaks of our citizenship. And he says that our citizenship is in heaven. And so the way that we're prone to read this is we're to say, yes, well, heaven is my true home. That I'm a citizen of that place and one day I'll return there to my true home. Paul will speak of that intermediate period when you do go to heaven. But notice what he says in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so guys, heaven is a big deal. But it's not the end of the world. That's not what God ultimately intends for us. He says that Jesus is in heaven and we await Him here on the earth because Jesus will return. Because Jesus intends to reign over the earth and raise our bodies where we will rule with Him. That's the Christian story. And presently, we are colonists. We are the saints of God in the particular city of Jacksonville. Just like these Christians were in Philippi. And we're on this colonizing mission. 
where we're praying to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're colonizing. We're seeking that our city reflect the beliefs and the values and the ways of heaven. That's what we're doing. Guys, that's what the church is. A colony of heaven in the present world, seeking to transform and change, bringing it under our Lord Jesus. And so as Paul starts his letter, what he's seeking to do is to remind the church of its identity. The church had become fractured, and we don't know the source of the divisions, but it's clear that they were putting their own interest ahead of the interest of others. And people were grumbling and complaining. There are all kinds of things that had gotten into their life, and they lost the central understanding of their identity before God. And when you lose your central identity, what else do you lose? You lose your purpose. You forget what your mission was. Now, as a kid, my grandparents lived in Henderson, North Carolina, and we would go every month or so to visit them. We have basically a skip generation because my grandfather married very late, and so he was quite elderly uh, when I was young. But there were traditions when we came and visited, and the most notable was when we left. On the way out of the door, two things would happen. My sister would always get nauseous, and we would have to collect the, the barf bag and put it in the car because it was just a tradition. She had convinced herself to get nauseous on the ride back. And then we would back out of the driveway, all the windows would go down on the Caprice Classic, we would hang out of the windows and wait for my grandfather who would then shout, remember who you are. And then we would then scream, it was like a liturgical chant, remember who you are. And then we would honk the horn and we would drive off. Now, I never thought about what he was, I always thought it was curious, why is he telling me to remember who I am? How can I not, you know? But as you mature in life, you start to realize how easy it is to lose a sense of yourself. And when you lose that sense of yourself, what God has given you to do in the world, you easily lose your purpose. And so what Paul does in this short introduction is he places a small device that looks fairly innocent into a room that has a massive explosive power because he brings in several concepts here in the introduction to his letter that he's going to explode into meaning over the next four chapters. And it is this identity and mission of the people of God, who we are. And so who does he say we are? Saints. That's what he says about the people of God who are in Jesus, that we are saints. So what is a saint exactly? There's two things that the New Testament says about saints. Now, we tend to think that a saint is a holy person who's like a super Christian, right? Someone who's got it all together. But the first part of being a saint, and the most important thing to recognize about it, is that it is a status given to us. The qualification for being a saint is that you are disqualified for that status. Okay? The word for saint just means God's holy ones, and it comes from the Old Testament. And God would set things apart for holy usage. He brought Israel out of Egypt, and in Exodus 19, they are called a holy nation. 
Now, was it because they were particularly morally worthy of him? Not at all. They were disqualified. But to be holy was simply to be set apart for God's purposes. It was a status conferred in God's grace. And so a saint is simply one who has been set apart in Jesus Christ for a specific purpose before God. And all who believe in Jesus get this status. We are all saints in Christ. Now the way that we become these saints, Paul explains in in verse 2 when he says, grace to you and peace from God. These are the things that bring us into into this status, the grace of God, the peace of God, His welcome of us in Jesus. And yet we tend to struggle with this still, and we tend to not always understand how it is that God welcomes us into His presence. Jennifer Hague, in her best-selling novel, Faith, talks about an Irish Catholic family living in Boston. And she captures very well the mentality of so many in North American culture when they come to think about their life with God. She's speaking about the mother in the family. Listen to what she writes. Only after remarrying did Ma become so fiercely virtuous. Like her cleaning and her counting, her strictness quells a terrible fear inside her. When their father left, the earth slid out from under her. God would spare her another catastrophe if she were very, very good, if she did everything right. And friends, this is how so many people orient to God. That we think that we can hold on to our status with God and we can have a status even before Him because we're going to be so virtuous and so good. And that we're going to control our lives and we're going to keep our sins down and God is going to approve of us. And that's exactly the opposite of what Paul is communicating to us about our identity before God. That our identity is something given. It's a status conferred because of Jesus. And united to Him, His death becomes our death, His resurrected life becomes ours, and we share in His status before God. So sainthood is a status conferred. It's not about being a super-Christian. Everyone who calls on Jesus shares in this. So this is the first piece of being a saint. Now the second is this, is that status also implies responsibility. He says that we are the saints in Christ. And Paul will go on to give many exhortations in this letter that we walk in obedience to the Gospel. That our lives be transformed and changed. And it's not that that transformation and that change is to come up from within us, but it is that in Christ Jesus we receive the resources for that transformation to take place. And so if we are God's holy ones, if we are God's saints, then what are we to become? We are to become actually holy. That we are to love what God loves. We are to to delight in what He delights in. Now, when we bring up this word holy, though, I know for some of you it raises all kinds of questions. Because oftentimes when we talk about what it means to be holy, we have a definition operating in our mind. And it's something like Victorian prudishness. 
You know that what it means to be holy is just to be stuck up and self-righteous and judgmental. And one of the biggest tasks for the church today in our reworking as we follow Jesus is to ask the question, what does it mean to be a saint? What does it mean to be holy? If we've been given that status and then we are to become what God has declared us to be, what does that look like? Because it isn't just Victorian prudishness. Where Victorian prudishness overlaps with holiness, you'll find me fighting for it. But where victorious, Victorian prudishness has nothing to do with holiness, you'll also find me disagreeing vehemently with it. That our goal is not to conform to some cultural expectation, some, something that society has defined. Our goal is to conform our lives to what God says holiness is. What it means to be a saint. And so this is the noble calling, the high task because we have been given a status in front of God, now we are to walk into that responsibility of being His saints. Look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, of chapter 2, excuse me, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then in 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent. And so he's speaking there of being saints. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now this is where it gets so interesting. Because Paul begins to allow us to peek into why our holiness is to exist. Who does our holiness exist for? It exists to bring honor to God, but it exists that we be lights in the world. And friends, our lives as it conforms to what God wants is not just about having a private piety so we feel good about ourselves. It is that our lives reflect that life of, of heaven that they're rightly ordered, that they're pleasing to God, and that that becomes the attraction. Just like the Spaniards came to North America to make North America Spain, we've been sent from heaven to represent heaven's interest here. And Paul's going to give us the central defining feature of what it means for our lives to be holy in chapter 2. And what he says is this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so you want to know what it means to be a saint? It's to share in the mind of Jesus is to share in that mind that laid down his life, that became a servant even though he didn't have to. He shared equality with God, but he laid that aside so that he could serve you. And friends, in the Bible, this is what it means to be a saint. This is what it is to be set apart. That we would be lights in the world as we become the world's servants. 
That's as complicated as it is to be a saint. It's to share in the mind of Jesus. And so it leads us to one final question, though. How do we do it? How do we live as those saints? Paul in verse 2 gives us the idea. He turns here a normal greeting that was in almost every letter that we have from Greco-Roman times. He turns it into a very specific Christian function. He turns it into a blessing. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's announcing a blessing on the people that God's grace be multiplied to them, that God's peace be multiplied to them, that they be ever-increasing so that they would be these lights in the world, so that they would be these colonists who are making the kingdom of heaven real on earth. And friends, that's what we desperately need. We need the grace and we need the peace of God multiplied to us. That if Philippi was going to overcome these divisions, if it was going to get past the crustiness that had kind of set in on this church that had such a good start but was now starting to fall apart, that the grace and the peace of God were going to have to be multiplied there and become real. And the people were going to have to remember their identity and dig deep into it to be the saints of God. And so what we desperately need is to know all that God gives us in Christ Jesus. All His grace, all His great benefits, and then the peace that descends from Him. Because this peace is not just the absence of conflict, but when Paul speaks of peace, it's that rich Old Testament understanding of the word shalom, that it's wholeness and flourishing in all of life. It's peace in relationships, it's peace with God, it's wholeness of life. And he says, that's what is ours in Christ. As we drink from that fount, as we appreciate all that God gives us, that's when the resources are poured into our lives and we find all we need in God's grace to be His saints. And so, for Christ's church, our goal is to be colonists. It's not simply to have a place that we come and worship that we particularly like, as wonderful as that is. But our goal is to be an outpost, a colony of heaven on the earth that represents the crown interest of King Jesus, that shows His way in the world through our lives. That's what God has given us to do. It's an awesome task. And let's hold fast and let's fight for that identity and not accept any other. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that in church we can easily lose our identity. That we forget what you have set us apart for. Thank you for giving us the status of your holy ones, of the saints that that is conferred upon us through Jesus in His death and resurrection, that it is a gift of grace. And we ask that we would take up the responsibilities of that gift and that we would be your lights in our city, that we would represent the crown interest of heaven 
in our values, in our beliefs, in our desires, in every part of our lives. And so send us out with that great purpose. Remind us of who we are in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.